A note to the reader. I'm using the term creator in this piece in the most liberal sense of the term, rather than the narrow, directly pressing upload on one of the handful of the purely digital C2C platforms that dominate the S&P senses of the term. Really, who I'm referring to encompasses not only these folks, but also any icon, professional creative, or public persona-led business. Okay, so historically there's been a distinction here, an important one, but this project rests a bit on how powerfully blurred all these lines really are becoming as creators continue to, as they say, eat the world. So now, shall we? How Creator Product Businesses Fail Part 1. Dynamics and Hedging About seven years ago, through a series of circumstances not worth retelling here, I met with Jeremy Zimmer, who recruited me to join UTA's Ventures team as one of its first executives. The group's past had been focused on making investments in consumer media and tech, but at the time I was speaking with them, they were especially focused on launching a venture studio to incubate celebrity-led businesses. I was just coming off a stint working 9am to 1am Monday through Sunday at a FIG-focused M&A banking firm, and before that I was working in EM at a global macro hedge fund, answering questions like, why and how is Malaysia lying about their balance of payments? All of this to say... I knew nothing about celebrities and was just about as far away from Hollywood as you could literally and metaphorically get, but it was 2017 and I was a woman with eyes and ears and a pulse, and therefore I knew every intimate detail about Fenty Beauty. I thought at best there might be a market in it all, and at worst I'd probably be warmer in LA than New York. When I took the role, Jeremy congratulated me, and then somewhat oddly I thought at the time, he laughed. For like a good minute. It was only a few weeks later, during my first or second week on the job, when I sat in a boardroom, getting harangued from the head of a large, oblong, white marble table by one of the world's most storied rap artists for being a, quote, hack, that I began to understand the meaning behind the laughter. In my time at UTA, I worked with over 70 different creators, musicians, actors, actresses, and athletes. This means that I worked on at least one, but usually multiple, ventures and equity-based schemes led by said creators. Some of them launched, and some of them fell apart. There were some I invested in, and others I wouldn't have bet on in a million years. And while some succeeded beyond all expectations, some failed so profoundly, so abysmally, that they gave the phrase hits-driven business a whole new meaning. This work gave me a level of insight into the innermost workings of creator businesses overall and into the teams and personas behind them. I once had a creator refuse to attend a board meeting because they were on their period, and they quote, never work when they're on their period. I once had a famous rap artist see a tarot card appear to him in a dream, and on the basis of that launch one of the best-selling alcohol lines of its category within a matter of months. I once worked with a very important athlete who turned down tens of millions of guaranteed cash per year and a double-digit equity stake in a company already doing nine figures of top line because he was just categorically not into it. I once worked with a musician who wanted to launch a novelty ice cream company based on the final few bites you get finishing off a cone called Just the Tip. I once saw a very bright, very talented young woman sell half a million dollars worth of single-serve coffee bags in less than 48 hours off of a single YouTube post. And I once worked for over a year trying to put together a company backed by $4 billion of seed financing, which, 
with no exaggeration, would have revolutionized a very big, very old, very important industry and impacted the daily lives of hundreds of thousands of consumers. It also would have been economically profound in either success or in failure for the creator. It all fell apart the day before Christmas when this creator sent me a poop emoji for not securing him a majority equity participation. This was, by the way, in addition to the tens of millions in guaranteed annual cash, and in addition to the sole IP ownership and rights, and in addition to the already significant and well-defended double-digit equity stake. But I digress. The point is this. I've taken some licks here and I've learned some things, and I think I've earned the right, therefore, to talk about them in a by-and-large sort of way. But when you've played an intricate and somewhat niche game for a time, the hardest thing isn't in grasping for an insight or two, it's in figuring out how to rein in the flood of insights and turn them into something frameworked and digestible for people. So now, without further procrastination, that is what I am going to do. In this three-part series, I will break down my mental model for creator businesses and the ways that they fail, providing examples from my prior work and clear recommendations for creators, operators, and investors alike on how to avoid the pitfalls. Let's begin. The two ways creator-led businesses fail. To kick things off with a fucking duh of a revelation, creator businesses are, for reasons of both the push and the pull variety, very much the future. The push here is the inevitable transformation of content, of commerce, and of advertising that for those of us working in and around the space for a time will seem boring, painful, and almost paint-dryingly slow, but nevertheless accelerates farther and farther into our present reality with each passing year. On the content side, consider... Goldman Sachs estimates that there are 50 million creators globally today, growing to 100 million by 2027. Today, 86% of Gen Zers aspire to become a creator, and report spending more time daily on social media platforms like YouTube than even leading streaming platforms like Netflix. Last year, U.S. audiences of all ages spent an average of 34 minutes every day watching YouTube. They also spent 17 minutes a day watching TikTok, and viewers below the age of 24 reported an average of 58 daily minutes spent watching on the platform. In 2023, on YouTube alone, for just the top 500 verified creator channels alone, aka no media accounts, no music accounts, just true independent verified content creators, there were 261 billion monthly views, 5 billion monthly subscribers, and 7 billion in monthly engagements. And you'll note that these are indeed duplicated figures, but nevertheless, you take the point. Bottom line, everyone is creating and watching more frequently than ever before, for longer than ever before, and across more connected TVs than ever before because, in the US at least, more than half of daily viewership of digital content currently takes place on CTV. And none of this, none of this, contemplates the impact of one- AI on content throughput and generation, two, the tastes and desires of Gen Alpha who will literally go on to be the largest generation in the history of the world, and three, the fact that the laws of physics dictate a further twisting force increase in the amount of acceleration just at the point of increasing force, aka the tipping point. So now how's that for fucking duh? On the commerce side, the increase in creation and consumption shows up in the very most obvious ways on consumer behavior. 
In 2023 alone, about one in three online shoppers in the US and UK reported being impacted, quote, the most by UGC images and video when making a purchasing decision across any category online. 40% of Gen Zs reported beginning their product searches on one of the major social media platforms, and 37% say they use social platforms more generally for shopping and opportunistic product discovery. Beyond this, in a survey taken last November, one in three U.S. Gen Z and millennials said that they purchased a creator-founded brand in 2023. And what is more, just shy of one in five Americans of any age reported purchasing a creator-founded brand that same year. What all of this amounts to is that brands and advertisers, in spite of sometimes wanting for old-world ways, continue to increasingly follow suit and go not only where there is reach, but where there is obvious and measurable purchase intent. All of this only gets accelerated, by the way, by the ever-lengthening long-form digital content, which, in contrast to short-form, which is defined as videos below 60 seconds, only seems to increase in size with each passing year. For top long-form creators last year, videos on average essentially reached the length of a traditional TV sitcom episode. And of course, the fact that people are watching this longer and longer digitally native content for longer and longer periods of time all on televisions, has the effect of at long last starting to make the fine line between linear and digital collapse altogether. In July of last year, YouTube made headlines for seeing a quarter-over-quarter jump in CTV spending growth of 31%, according to analysis from Tenuity, outpacing streaming services like Max and Netflix, who had growth of 6%. By the end of the year, YouTube, according to some estimates, ranked as the second-largest media brand by CTV revenues at roughly $3 billion, outpacing almost all streamers, and is projected to gain further ground. Now, as for the poll dynamic, creators now have more data and transparency into the weight of their worth than ever before, and can prove it with a stunning variety of metrics for reach and projected conversion. Truly, I dare you to find a publicly traded company whose fundamentals are marked to market as frequently and transparently as MrBeast. Not only that, but the historical risk aversion has, again, slowly but surely, been giving way to a greater desire to not yield important and harder upside for the fear of variability. Again, I, I see this trend mostly being led by the young hustlers of YouTube, of TikTok, and of Instagram. On the brand's directory for celebrity packaged goods, a site and newsletter that tracks new celebrity brand launches and partnerships, there are over 180 entries. And this list is far from exhaustive, with the team continuing to create new entries weekly. According to Statista, there were close to 50 icon-led beauty brands launched between 2020 and 2022 alone. So this must all seem like very good news. Yet the last year has mostly seen a number of these brands end in some amount of wreck and ruin, from the bankruptcy of Forma to that of Hello Bello, and if private markets had shorting mechanisms. I'd be betting on more to follow in the next 12 to 18 months. In a kind of chicken or egg way, the key tension that folks keep coming back and back to when it comes to creator-led brands failing is this question of fault. Specifically, is it the celebrity or the fundamentals that matter most, either to the success or, more often, by sheer dint of probability, in failure? This is one of those musings that entrepreneurs and investors like to ask when they are out in California in the all-too-brief periods between paying income tax, and it is a rendition of the classic, is it the idea, the team, or the timing? It's a question that sounds sort of serious and discerning, but is also very obviously silly, 
Because the answer is, of course, that it is all of the above, and more often than not, all at the same time, and that is, after all, the reason it's so damn difficult. With all of that said, I'm not going to begrudge anyone for probing along these lines as a way to simplify a complicated thing, and I will, also begrudgingly, just this once, play along by saying that there are two ways that a creator-product business can go wrong. One is failure to launch, the other is failure to thrive. I'll be an even better sport and say, in general, that the failure to launch is, typically, the creator's, quote, fault, and the failure to thrive is typically the operator's fault. There's a lot to unpack in each of these, and I look forward to doing this with you in my installment coming next week in part two, Failure to Launch. In the meantime, thank you for beginning this journey with me. If you like what you've read or listened to so far, then... By all means, keep reading or listening. I have a lot, a lot in store for you, and my practical and discerning editor won't let me release it to you all at once, so what can I do? If you have feedback or you just want to connect, email me at contact at fathomit.co, and please share and subscribe. Talk again soon.